Hello, friends and comrades. This is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. Rob here in the shadow of Rockford Tower in the advanced position of Bunker Studio, relentlessly hounding the financial royalty of the Delaware Way elite. Super producer Carl is monitoring from a secure remote location, and we'll jump on in the second half for a discussion about a historical research rabbit hole I went down today and whether we have indeed discovered the quintessential 19th century Delaware man. But first, our guest this evening is Paul Blessed. Paul is a staff writer for Discourse Blog and author of the recent article, Jeff Bezos, Enemy of the People. I am pleased to have him back on the show. What's happening, Paul? Hey, how's it going? Thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah it's great to talk to you again. Um, I, I, I know when we when we originally talked, I wanted uh, you to come on as a Delaware native to ridicule the John Carney State of the State speech, uh, and we will, we will do that in due course. Um, uh, but first, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about um, the article you wrote uh, to mark Jeff Bezos's, I guess, retirement to the chairman of the board. <laughs> I don't know what you would call it. Um, I want very insistent that he uh, he was not actually retiring and he was going to spend a lot of time uh, working on his fucking rocket ship. So that's that's good. Well, that's fun. Um, you have two paragraphs near the beginning I wanted to read because they're good, and I think it sets the stage for kind of the stuff I want to talk about. Um, a little, f- a couple paragraphs in, you write, It is undoubtedly true that Bezos is responsible for profound changes in the way people live and consume. Amazon has wormed its way so deeply into our lives that it is now an integral part of our infrastructure. There is practically no way to avoid it if you use the Internet or participate in the economy. But in another equally profound way, Bezos is nothing new at all. He is part of that oldest of, of American traditions, the robber baron. Like all titans of capital, Bezos accumulated vast, unaccountable wealth on the backs of his workers and managed to take not only the lion's share of the benefits, but the credit as well, replete with union-busting tactics updated for the modern age. And I think that's that's pretty much it. That's That's his legacy, I suppose. It is. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, I mean, you, first of all, you don't make, you know, nearly 200 or you you aren't worth, you know, nearly $200 billion on your own, uh, without screwing a lot of fucking people over. Um, and you know, he, uh, you know, I, I say, like I say in the piece, you know, he's gotten a lot of credit for the, you know, pushing the $15 minimum wage for Amazon workers. Um, and, uh, pushing or you know, I, I get the Punchbowl uh, newsletter. The uh, it's like the new like Politico thing. Like like people from Politico started their own newsletter because everybody's sort of, sort of starting a newsletter. Um, and Amazon was like was sponsoring like the first couple batches of them. Um, and it was just like you know this is why we're calling on Congress to raise it to a fifteen dollar minimum wage. But like you know these are these are PR campaigns to you know, sort of smooth over like this much larger legacy of screwing over workers, you know, going into these, you know, depressed communities that, that just don't have a center of economy anymore. Um, and just, you know, making, making a life that's much worse for the workers there than, you know, than it, than it was, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, He's leaving, uh, you know, the CEO position, but, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's just sort of, you know, swapping 
swapping chairs. Uh, you know, there's uh, Andy Jassy, who is the CEO of Amazon Web Services, is going to be the new CAO. He's like a pro charter booster. Um, he's like the the director of a board of the board of a charter school uh, himself. And you know, I, I just you know, looked on Twitter, and there's there's a bunch of uh, comments he's made about you know the anti charter school bias of Washington State, supposedly. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it's Amazon's still going to be the same thing, but you know, it's it's good at least that Jeff Bezos isn't there anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, I myself am a big um, anti-charter school. I have a big anti-charter school bias myself. So I, I, I can appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've told the story before, but I think it bears repeating because you, you, you hit a, uh, an interesting note in the piece. Um, my dad, for like the first 10 years of my life, uh, was a UPS driver. Um, and, you know, there are teamster positions. We had, you know, we had a great sort of middle-class life. We all had health insurance. I had health problems. It was always like, didn't know there wasn't, you know, a big problem with it. Uh, and then you see today, just Tuesday, um, the company, uh, the Amazon settled with the FTC for like 60 million bucks because they don't, they don't pay their flex drivers the tips that they earn. You know, I, I, you know, I see them out driving and I know that they're basically just gig workers. So, you know, the hourly wage, you can, you can make that into a PR thing. But if you're not, if, if you're not treating these people like employees and, and they're on their own liability wise, you're trying to steal their tips. You have them who, I, you know, whatever their benefits really are. I mean, it, it's, it's so uh, transparent that I, it's, it's, I don't even know how they, how they are able to do it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there's they've sort of skated along for a long time. You know, they they do give uh, healthcare benefits to some warehouse workers. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not totally sure about everybody, but you know, I was reading this Washington Post article about this union effort that's going on in Alabama because that would be the first you know union in on U.S. soil in Amazon's history. And you know, they've fought very, very, very hard against against anything like that ever happening. Um, and you know, there was somebody who. Uh, had uh, I think it was a brain tumor who's who's working there and like she's against the Amazon Union and was like talking about like how like they like paid paid for healthcare benefits but that's not the experience of a lot of people like I mean I've talked to you know several of the the Amazon delivery service partner drivers and these are like comp basically like these like Amazon likes to say that they're creating small businesses but they're basically you know outsourcing the liability to other people um, you know they you know, the, these drivers, you know, aren't covered, you know, people can't sue Amazon when they're, when these drivers hit them, uh, you know, there's, it, it's just like this, this, you know, kind it, of, it, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, it, it, it threads this line of that's been happening in the Amer American economy for, for a long time. And Amazon is like not the only one, but, you know, Amazon has, has done its part to make all these things much worse. Yeah, one of the things I harp on, and uh, I know that I don't have any sort of, you know, nobody listening to this podcast is probably working at the Amazon Fulfillment Center that's here in, in Newcastle, um, but we have to be ready that if they get if they get organized, everybody has to support that. Uh, you, 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 you note in, in your piece uh, that uh, Vice, uh, where you also contribute to, uh, had... <laughs> You know, had broken the story that the company is using Pinkertons, you know, the actual Pinkertons who, you know, who who, who were, you know, shooting at at steel workers, uh, you know, in, in Western Pennsylvania, 
um, are, are now back, you know, outside of, uh, you know, you know, being security and an anti-labor force for another, you know, oligarch of the 21st century. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that that's sort of where that line comes from. You know, these, they've updated these, these anti-union tactics. Like it's no, you no longer can just like outwardly just like, you know, it, it's, you know, it's like surveillance. It's, it's digital surveillance of, of union organizers, you know, of people who are, uh, you know, you know, not even union organizers, but like people who are just raising complaints about about working conditions. Um, you know, it, it seems like every every other week somebody is getting fired at Amazon at, at some warehouse uh, for complaining about the fact that it's it's not safe to work there. Um, and yeah, you know, they're, these using the Pinkertons is just sort of the the cherry on top. You know, it, they're owned by this this Swedish company now, um, Securitas AB. And, you know, they were, as vice reporter, you know, there was, they were, they were surveilling these Facebook groups and, you know, just sort of, uh, looking, looking into these, these union organizers and sort of, sort of, you know, monitoring all this stuff. And it was, it was a huge secret <laughs> and now it's not a secret anymore. And I think that that's sort of like, you know, adding, adding fuel to the, to the union effort. I mean, you know, there is a, a very, good reason why they're fighting this so hard and they know that you know this is just sort of a house of cards you know if if bessemer if the people at the bessemer plan organize and and you know form a union and, and join the rwdsu you know this is that could be a huge catalyst for you know future organizing effort, efforts out elsewhere you know there have been a lot of walkouts in the last year um in places like minneapolis chicago um you know the west coast you know there's you know, Amazon sort of always talks about the fact that these these walkouts are only limited to like you know a couple hundred workers out of like our like thousands that work here, but you know these are people who are walking out organizing themselves without union protection. So you know I think a lot of people are you know sort of seeing you know especially because of the pandemic you know that a union can help them out, and I, I think that you know that's that's a very big dangerous thing for for Amazon. Yeah, one place you didn't mention that also had uh, labor actions was in New York and Staten Island, and Christian Smalls has become uh, a huge sort of uh, spokesperson and organizer for this whole movement, uh, and and he was monitored. Um, they were having meetings with him, and, and Obama's boy Jay Carney was was calling him, you know, not smart, inarticulate, you know, just trying to bring all kinds of pressure down as they were as they were basically doing surveillance on his on his organizing. So, yeah, I mean, they've they've definitely stepped up their game with not only high tech, but, you know, fancy PR people and, and big names and, and networking and all of that. And it's um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're bringing everything down. And, and this is why in, in Bessemer, I'm you know, I hope everybody's following the story. Uh, it's it's mostly. um I guess uh, female uh, black women and and uh, Latinas, I think, and and it and not only not only is that important, I think it's important because it, you know, there's this idea that a working class person is one thing, but it, it I, I think it, it isn't, and this is an, a a super example of that. It's a, a real di diverse group trying to, um, you know, just just trying to get a handle on the the situation that they work in. I was speaking to uh, David Griscom a couple months ago on here, and he we were talking about there was just that week in Washington State. I think it was in the Seattle Times. 
um, there was a a a paper that came out, I think, about the the dangers of working in fulfillment centers and other groceries and other warehouses were like, we don't want Amazon to be categorized as a warehouse. It's way more dangerous because of the way that they make people work and how they make people run around. It's more dangerous than, you know, there was all of these accidents. The amount of money that was being paid out for work, workers' comp insurance was incredibly high uh, because, yeah, it's extremely dangerous. And people, I don't think people have a full grasp of that. Yeah, they don't. I mean, I was, I was looking back at, you know, the people have known this for years and I think that it's sort of, you know, becoming more, people are becoming more aware of it in the public consciousness. But I think that, you know, I was, I was reading this, this Bloomberg article from, from 2013 or 2014, where, you know, the conditions they were compared to a coal mine. And I think that, you know, that's a pretty apt comparison. I mean, this is a place where, uh, you know, a lot of people are, these like time off task things and like, you know, giving just like the workload is just insane. I mean, there's a really good book. Um, on the, I think it's or on the clock, uh, by Emily Gundelsberger. Uh, she's a Philly journalist and, you know, she, um, lost her job at, at Philadelphia weekly a couple of years ago. Um, and she, uh, she worked at an Amazon, uh, fulfillment center in Kentucky, uh, McDonald's, and then a, I think a call center in North Carolina, um, and just like the description of like working there in that book is just like, you know, just like you're tired all the time. There's like vending machines with like Advil and stuff. And you're just like popping Advil to like get through the day. I mean, obviously it's like not like that for everybody, but like, yeah, it's like a huge toll on your body. And like, this is, you know, I, I think it is a pretty apt comparison uh, to a coal mine. You know, it's, it's a huge physical toll on you. Um, you know, the, these people are just not getting paid what they deserve, especially considering what what Amazon's profits are. I mean, they're you know, it was it sort of was overshadowed by the Jeff Bezos news. But yesterday, Amazon reported its uh, quarter four earnings and it, they made seven point two billion dollars in the fourth quarter of last year. And the year before in the fourth quarter, they only made well, only they made three point three billion. They doubled their profits, more than doubled their profits in a year. Um, and that was this is a year that. You know, nobody really had any money because everybody was getting fired and, and losing their jobs. So, I mean, this is like, yeah, I mean, this, it, it, the whole, the whole thing is just like, I, I think people are finally starting to sort of, you know, wake up. And, and I think that a lot of, you know, people are, I, I think there's going to be a lot more organizing going on at Amazon warehouses. Yeah, you made a you made a good point. I think a lot of people have trouble with like the scale of big numbers. We've, we've talked about that. They've there's been little videos of trying to explain it. You you do it pretty well in the piece. It, it, you know the the amount of money they've made just since the pandemic started because of that situation has been such a windfall. They could have given every employee a hundred thousand dollar bonus. Yeah, and and Bezos would and and then and then the the wealth of. Jeff Bezos himself and and, and the, the ownership would have been exactly the same, would have been unchanged. Yeah, he could have personally given every, like all 900,000 people that work at Amazon a $105,000 bonus, and he still would have been exactly as rich as he was before. And this is after, you know, he had a huge divorce where, you know, uh, Mackenzie Bezos or the former Mackenzie Bezos, like, got a lot of money in that. And he's still, in, like, one of the, the richest people to ever live. It's, it's, insane to think about yeah it's it's pretty weird i that another story came out just today i don't know if you saw it but 
There's another labor sort of dispute, I guess, in Chicago. They're closing one center, opening another, and they're changing everybody from their shift to like a ten and a half hour shift they call mega cycle. That doesn't sound great. I don't know if you saw it was in Vice today. Um, so yeah, I, I just it's like where does this end? Like how, how much how much are people going to be asked to do, uh, and and all of that productivity and all of that value is just sucked away so that one guy can build a colony on the moon. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to see, you know, I I don't want to like make any predictions about how this, this vote investor is going to go. I mean, you know, the Washington post uh, story about it. uh, They talked to the president of the RWDSU and um, he said that, you know, they had, you know, some like 3000 people who had signed cards and there's like more than 6,000 people that work or around 6,000 people that work there. Um, but, you know, there's so much turnover that you don't know, like, you know, how this is actually going to shake out. Um, but, you know, if it if it does work, I, I think that, it, like I said, it, this could be a huge turning point in, in you know, labor relations with Amazon and, and the way that, you know, people organize. And, you know, it, it just showing it can be done, you know, up against all of uh, Amazon's surveillance, all of their, you know, insane legal team, <laughs> you know, just like. One of one of the most well-staffed legal teams in the world, um, you know, it's a huge David versus Goliath thing, and I think that you know, if these workers in Bessemer are able to do this, I think it's going to show a lot of other other uh, other workers that they can do it too. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. You know, we we just have to be ready because this is where it's going to come from. The people who are really working to sustain, you know, we we're seeing it now in stark relief because of the pandemic, but. Uh, we need to be ready to stand in solidarity with these folks because it's going to be extremely important. Um, but I have a question for you. Are, are you, do you know what section 15 of the Delaware constitution reads? Are you familiar with section 15? I do not know. Well, thank goodness that at the beginning of his state of the state speech, governor Carney told us, it says, The governor shall, from time to time, give the General Assembly information of affairs concerning the state and recommend to its consideration such measures as he or she shall judge expedient. There you go. You know you got to throw that in at the beginning of the state of the state because literally the hundreds of people that are watching this stream on YouTube really need to know that piece of information. Oh, yeah. I mean, mean, that's that's what everybody's you know, watching the governor talk in January 2021 and in the beginning of the pandemic for. Yeah, I mean, and then in the very next, I, I, what I'll do is I'll take you through my my experience of listening to this because I was just taking notes and now I'm, I'm reading it now. But <clears throat> in his very next paragraph, he, he finishes like this. What is the role of the state? What happens when life and liberty are in conflict? What does it mean when those charged with safeguarding our nation's democracy threaten it? Uh, and I can tell you, this is a big spoiler alert, none of those questions are answered in this speech. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm very interested to know, like, I, I do know some of the governor's uh, like comms people, and I'm trying to get them on to maybe answer these questions because it got me all worked up that I thought I was going to find out what the role of the state was, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that's... Yeah, that sounds like um, some uh, some amateur political philosophy. Uh, yeah, it, it's written all over this. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's a good one. This is a good little section because I think it just shows you just it's just it's just bullet points 
that actually don't have any coherence. So here you go. When the COVID-19 crisis hit, we balanced our budget without cutting crucial services, without raising taxes on Delaware families or businesses, and without borrowing money to pay our bills, without laying off state employees or cutting their pay, as so many other states have done. Thanks in part to these responsible budget practices, Delaware maintained our AAA bond rating while other states had their credit downgraded. Well, I don't think anybody who needs help cares about what our bond rating is. And also, didn't he just say that we weren't borrowing any money? So who the fuck cares? It's like, it's like, yeah, we, we're not, you, you just two two lines ahead. You said we don't have to borrow any money, but thank God our bond rating's high. I, yeah, I, I mean, I think that like he's, <laughs> I, I think his his main goal. I mean, I I haven't lived in Delaware since Carney became governor, but just knowing you know <laughs> what I know about him, I think that that having a balanced budget is like his number one goal. Like, I don't I don't think that you know he. Has, as any real uh, bold policy goals beyond that, beyond saying that our, our budget sheet is, is zero or we have, we have a little bit more money. Um, the, no, I mean, <laughs> the, the question after that is, you know, what, why, why do you have more money than you need? I mean, like this isn't a business, like people need help. So yeah, it's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he talked about, um, because we had the budget surplus, and he was so proud of the budget surplus. Um, and, of course, he had to mention how that's all gone now. Um, so that was, you know. It's very uh, sad. Yeah. We lost but, a lot in 2020. Yeah, I mean, that whole, that whole surplus is gone. But, again, you hit on a good thing. He really doesn't have any uh, real, he doesn't want to, you know, uh, as you know, We've just elected, you know, a, a, a big group of sort of progressive leftist insurgents mm-hmm. to the to the to the legislature, state legislature. And there's been a lot of talk about a lot of things maybe starting to happen that people have talked about that there hasn't really been an impetus or, or a real uh, sort of movement to do, um, you know, changing the income tax brackets to try to make them a little more progressive Um one of the big ones is uh, criminal justice reform and law enforcement reform. We have one of those, and a lot of places have them, uh, you know, a cop bill of rights, so they can just basically do whatever they want to do, and there's not much recourse. There's no transparency. We, you know, we had a cop uh, that was that was charged with kicking like somebody on the ground. I don't know if he kicked, broke out his teeth or, or broke his jaw or something. Uh, in Dover, he went to court criminally, was acquitted, of course, and then got another job as a cop in like some county in Maryland somewhere. Like so, so we have this horrible. So, so I'm I'm actually going to have people from Defense Services come in. We're gonna we've, we're going to talk about this. Uh, his his one line here is uh, here we go. Uh, they banned chokeholds last year, and this year we will support a plan to get body cameras for every police officer in the state. There is so much more work to be done. But we have made important progress this year. That's it. That's what we got. Of all of that stuff, that's what we got. We're trying to legalize marijuana. Doesn't mention it. Of course, he's like um, he's a real reefer madness, like hardline guy. Um, doesn't doesn't mention it at all. Doesn't mention the tax. Like everything that the that sort of the issues that this group of leftists were supposed to go do doesn't mention it. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be really, I'm really interested to see how he he deals with that and how i mean you know if you look at new york you know cuomo is going so hard after 
after the progressive Democrats who have been elected in the last couple cycles uh, through primary challenges and just open seats. Um, and, you know, in, in Delaware, you know, I think that that cycle is just sort of getting started, but I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I think like this could happen in 2022 as well. I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see how he deals with that because, you know, as much as I hate Cuomo, like he has the full backing of he, he controls the establishment in New York and he has the full weight of the New York Democratic Party behind him. And I don't think Carney has that kind of juice. And I, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see, you know, how he's going to deal with, you know, uh, there's this pushback that's sort of, you know, never really been vocal uh, in the Delaware legislature. You know, there's always been John Kowalko and Paul Bombach, but, you know, having more people that are pushing for this stuff is just like, I don't think he's ready for it at all. And I, it's going to be funny to see how they interact with each other. Yeah. I mean, the real, the real thing is going to be the sort of the establishment types that are still in the leadership positions in the house. So this, the Senate got pretty much cleared out, you know, defeated a big leader with a leftist insurgent, um, changed the leadership. Now there are very strong reps in the house, but the balance of power is a little bit different, and we have the same uh, ex-cop speaker of the house and his apparatchik as the, uh, uh, you know, as the uh, the whip. So, you know, that's going to be that's going to be this the, the 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 hair in the drain, you know, clogging up the drain. And you know, I think that's our next step. But that's going to be the wild card as far as like what Carney is going to have to deal with because he has allies a few allies now again like you said he doesn't have the juice anymore uh, that Cuomo has in the state um, for example but he still has some pressure points where he can make stuff or where it's, it's understood that stuff doesn't need to get to him so that that part I think is going to be pretty interesting yeah I mean it, it's also I, I know he just got reelected but I'm, I'm just curious to see what sort of emerges over the next couple of years in this like race to succeed him because I, I, you know, I think that probably Bethany Hall Long and, you know, sort of like the usual cast of characters are going to, uh, you know, make runs for governor. But I, I wonder, I wonder how that's going to turn out. Well, the, the state chairperson, uh, Eric Razor Sham, uh, left the party to go be basically the chief of staff, uh, for Matt Meyer, the county executive. Okay. And he, the county executive, Matt Meyer, actually ran a pretty good he, – he was able to get a lot of CARES money, and, and they bought uh, the, the, the old hotel on 95 in Churchman's Marsh that was, wasn't being used. They bought that at auction as, a, as an emergency homeless shelter. Oh, okay. um, so he's – yeah, it's, it's, it's actually pretty good. He, uh, and, he, and he's made a lot of, like, good enemies. He, the, the, the establishment and the police union were really anti-Meyer and ran, like, a weird candidate against him that got blown out. So it looks to me like Matt Meyer's the, 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 you know, the leader right now. But, you know, the, the AG, Kathy Jennings, is, 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 is making some waves. And I think, like, as you said, there's always going to be the also-rans, you know, the uh, – the, the, the lieutenant governor and, and, and those folks. But uh, my, my the, I think that the the favorite right now as it sits, and again, it's only February of 2021, but Matt Meyer, county executive, that's that's my guess. Yeah, I think my, I think Jennings would be a huge improvement over, over Carney. I, I don't know as much about Meyer, um, but yeah, there, there's just, yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of, now, now I think, 
I think I saw that Raimondo is uh, is leaving Rhode Island, uh, so to be Biden's Commerce Secretary. So Carney might be one of the worst Democratic governors in the country after that. I mean, like considering the the lean of of Delaware and the fact that it's get you know getting more progressive, uh, and the fact that he's just still stuck in the nineties. It's just yeah, it's sort of ridiculous. Yeah, he he's bad. I can I can attest. Uh, I'm still here. Carl's still here, and he's still very bad. So, Paul, man, I know you got a dip, uh, so I'll cap it, cap it off. Uh, read Paul's stuff at the Discourse blog. It's discourseblog.com. They are on Twitter at discourse underscore blog. Um, they're doing something really cool uh, with a lot of great journalists and a lot of great reporters. So dip over there, look into their stuff, and you can follow Paul at P blessed on Twitter. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, uh, at a uh, discourse blog, uh, com, uh, slash subscribe. Uh, I was, I was told to, to plug it a little bit. Um, yeah, we, we're a worker owned site. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to do something cool. So yeah, check it out. Yep. Absolutely. Um, thank you very much, Paul. Thanks. Have a good one. Am I going to learn about John M. Clayton now? Buddy, this was really something. Because... It's very rare for you to go down this hole and not me. That's... Look, this is why I was so sort of like, oh my god, it's happening, it's happening. Because here's here's how it happened. I'm I'm going through all this Amazon stuff and just want to make sure my head's on to speak with Paul and talk about Amazon. And I remember going to that hearing a couple of years a year and a half ago or whatever uh it was about a year ago like a just more a year, than I think. was it just a year was yeah it was like february 2020 okay because i couldn't remember if it was or if it was late in 2019 um but I, so i remember going to that conference center on 13 and i was like was that newcastle was that like did we, were we in st george's what the fuck where were we so i go on the map looking around looking around up oh, buena vista conference center Okay, click on fucking Google Maps. There's a thing there. John M. Clayton fucking house. Okay, who the fuck? I mean, I knew he was like a senator and a secretary of state for somebody. Didn't know. So I'm like, okay, I start poking around. Guys was a uh, was a Whig secretary of state for uh, was it John Tyler? I think Um, Taylor Zachary Taylor. That's right. Thank you. then I stumble across a a uh, I didn't know what it was. It was like a scanned-in research paper, and it was called "John M. Clayton and the Search for Order: A Study in Whig Politics and Diplomacy" by Richard Arden Wire. Where did you find this? On the internet. Just. Googling, right? So I find it's a dissertation, a dissertation submitted to the faculty of the Graduate School of the University of Maryland in partial fulfillment of the requirement of the degree of Doctor of Philosophy, 1971. So this guy is going to write this thing about. Thing. So what's it about? Okay, abstract. First paragraph. This is awesome. I mean, this blew my mind. <clears throat> so this guy's a Delaware. He was a he was a, a senator. He was the Secretary of State in the mid. He died actually a little bit before the Civil War, so he was he was he was politically active basically the first half of the 19th century, say. So, <clears throat> here's the first paragraph of this guy's abstract: 
As a Whig politician and uh, diplomatist, John M. Clayton participated in the search for an orderly republic to be achieved and maintained by the politics of moderation. Driven by a sense of duty, but haunted by a reoccurring feeling of desolation in his personal life, he did make some important contributions to the search for order. Ultimately, however, his limited success epitomized the plight of the moderate politician in an age of growing instability. No shit. So he didn't stop the Civil War? Not only did he not stop the Civil War, my friend, he was one of those guys, he was one of the big negotiators for, like, what are we going to do with Oregon and California? Oh, no. Uh, He was a big Kansas-Nebraska act. He was involved in the Kansas-Nebraska act, which overrode the Missouri Compromise. So yeah, known for its civility and its um, compromise. Yeah, I mean, it was known, right. I mean, and so this moderate, this moderate idea of just trying to maintain order in the status quo worked so well that, uh, yeah, we fought the Civil War. So, I mean, that was a great testament, I think, to this kind of pragmatic moderation. That's incredible. A- That's a, So we were just talking about John Carney, who is in many ways the most Delaware man alive today. But this guy is like the original Delaware guy. This guy may be the original Delaware man because he was like so he so I mean I was reading about Buena Vista and I was thinking to myself oh Buena Vista you know a beautiful vista I'm thinking I could you can't see the river from there like what can you do ah it's named after a Mexican so uh, a Spanish American war or a Mexican American war f- a battle Buena Vista that's what it's named after and the guy was anti he well, he didn't want to fight the Mexican American war but then once they were fighting it he said it was fine Typical. This guy's the original Delaware man. Everything about Delaware is epitomized in this guy. He's a wishy-washy. He's a rich, pampered, big white baby uh, who just wants everything to stay the same. That's it. It's incredible. It was incredible reading it. You know what else he did? Very importantly, as the Secretary of State, he negotiated the deal to make sure that the Isthmus of Panama stayed neutral so they could build the Panama Canal. Oh, that's great. That was the other thing he did. So his big thing was neutrality, really. Yes, anything neutral, as long as as long as wh- whatever Panamanians were living on the isthmus were, uh, who knows what they did with them. But as long as as long as everything was neutral and fine, that was good. And and so I'm yeah, and I'm down. I felt again, this is stuff that you normally would do. You would be like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm I'm reading about this 19th century. This is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I have my favorite Delaware um, 19th century politician, of course, uh, from one of my previous rabbit holes, um, because I was reading about early labor law, sort of like pre-labor unions, like back when it was illegal to get three people together and ask for higher wages, um, because there was a guy, Caesar Rodney, not the Caesar Rodney that had a statue taken down because he was a slave owner, but his nephew, Caesar Augustus Romney, Rodney, Romney, whatever, same guy. Um, and yeah, so I am extremely predisposed to hate this guy because he's the nephew of Caesar Rodney and probably also a slave owner. Let me double check that. Actually, does not seem to be a slave owner, so that's a, that's a plus. Uh, but it turns yeah, out, and I, and I and I also check because that was the first thing. I'm like, this guy built this estate house. I got to see, but no, he, 
Uh, all, all due respect to, uh, to to John M. Clayton, not a slave owner. Yeah. So Caesar Augustus Rodney um, actually was like a public service lawyer, like a public advocate. Um, and one of the most uh, famous case that he defended was the Philadelphia Cornwait, cord winner, cord winners. I think people who made shoes, I believe. Yeah. Um, but it was one of the first unions in American history in 1806. They got together and uh, organized to demand higher wages from their boss. And they got charged with conspiracy because you're not allowed to do things back in 1806. You know, it was a very free market, very free market economy back then. Uh, the, the hand, the invisible hand is crushing the, uh, the yeah. discussion of it. Yeah. Basically what happened is that like they're, the guys that bought the shoes were like, hey, you can't do that. And they told the government, hey, they can't do that. And the government said, hey, you can't do that. Um, but Caesar Augustus Rodney actually defended them um, and lost. He failed miserably. Um, Delaware has a long, long tradition of uh, public advocates that are not very good at their job. Oh, yeah. Lots of failures. We've, t- we've taken a lot of L's. Yeah. But he, as. This was this is what makes him a Delaware guy. Besides having the last name Rodney, is that he failed upwards into becoming the Attorney General of the United States the next year. Nice, yeah. I mean, that's like Clayton. They're like, oh, you're, you're Secretary of State now. Okay, yeah. So yeah, he was guy who had a famous uncle to guy who lost case, though for a good reason. Uh, if you go back and look at his actual arguments in the case, it's actually very interesting because he's defending like natural rights of labor and stuff like that. Um, because some of these Democratic Republicans early on were pretty decent on some of that stuff, despite the fact that they also were not as great with, like, slaves. Um, and so, yeah, he was, okay, failure, U.S. Attorney General. Um, let's see. Oh, he was in the Army in War of 1812. Um, he was a member of the prosecution on the second treason trial for Aaron Burr. So, you know, he's, he's getting around. And then... After 1814, he's like, no, nah, I'm done with this. He goes back to the Delaware State Senate, then becomes a representative for a couple of years. He was then, a rep in this. He was a representative in the Delaware State Legislature after being the Attorney General. No, so of the he was States. the Attorney General. Then he becomes Delaware State Senator. Ah. Then he becomes a U.S. representative. Ah. I see. Um, and then, oh yes, he was a senator as well, like a U.S. senator as well, briefly. Uh, and then he goes to Argentina as an ambassador and dies there. And that's the career of Caesar Augustus Rodney. Yeah, the, there's a lot of good stuff in here. But that that one's – the funny thing about him is he's a little bit uh, unique where I find Clayton, like like you said, he's the ultimate – I mean, listen to this sentence. <clears throat> tell me – I mean, tell me you, you this doesn't describe almost every – almost every quote – well, we'll call him Dixiecrats, whatever you want to call these these conservative Democrats. And, well, it's not even a Dixiecrat, because Dixiecrats at least had conviction. Correct. At least they believed in something. Uh, although Clayton's sensitivity to criticism made him impulsive at the time of his diplomacy. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it says it right there. That's the same shit. Hold on. Hold on. Let, let me... Let me uh, during the final six years of his life, Clayton tried <clears throat> to halt the fragmentation of, of American conservatism 
and unify the proponents of an orderly republic. He first sought to make foreign policy, particularly the enforcement of the Clayton Burrell Treaty, the basis of national political reorganization. In doing so, he misjudged the prospects of avoiding uh, sectional agitation at home by emphasizing the British threat abroad. After realizing his mistake, he attempted to compromise the question of slavery in the Kansas-Nebraska territories and postpone disruptive decisions until time had permitted passions to cool and reasons to reinsert, and reason to reinsert itself. Despite his best efforts, however, the, po- the politics of accommodation gave way to the politics of confrontation, and the union began to divide. Sure. He took so a, he, took an he helped he negotiate took the <laughs> death of the Missouri Compromise. <laughs> and that was seen as like moving towards. Uh, this, Folks, this is a lesson in uh, moderation and just deal making. I mean, just stay in the center and, you know, just make deals and do the best deals that you can do. Stand for nothing uh, and just be rich. Just make sure that you're extremely rich and white. And that you know the best people. And just try not to take a stand on anything. And usually that will lead to the Civil War. Yeah. I mean, is there really any... It's amazing he wasn't a Democrat because the fact that he just negotiated himself more and more to the right by trying to be someone in the center. He really is the most Delaware guy. I I think we found it. Folks, we did it. We got him. The most Delaware man, the most Delaware man to ever live, the 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 great Whig Secretary of State John M. Clayton of Dagsboro, Delaware. He actually was born in Dagsboro. Dagsboro. Yes. John M. Clayton. He was a he. He looks about as you would expect him to look. There is a daguerreotype, a Matthew Brady daguerreotype online of the uh, Zachary Taylor administration. A lot of lookers. A lot of, lot of dimes. Real, real hot guys. Uh, folks, look. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you... I, I, I hope this was a fun one. Like I said, we kind of threw this together. Uh, we have a lot of fun stuff coming up. I did mention uh, with Paul Bless that we are going to be having some folks from the Office of Defense Services come on to talk about uh, the Law Enforcement Officer's Bill of Rights and how it's stupid. Uh, they probably won't use those words, but they might. Um, we're also going to have, as I mentioned, um, a couple shows ago, maybe the, the great historian, Richard White. Um, I'm extremely pumped to talk to this guy. Uh, and, and we also have some fun things that we're going to put up on the Delaware call. Let's not forget the Delaware call folks, because, um, you know, we've talked about our video projects. We've talked about Jordan, uh, and his reporting, but we have something else cooking, uh, that's going to be pretty exciting and pretty big, probably getting ready to launch in April. But keep watching the call for our work, for our videos, and please think about uh, supporting our work with a donation. Monthly donations help the most because it uh, helps us plan and uh, and talk about some big stuff we want to do. So think about the call. If, if you just like us goofing off here on the podcast, then what you do is you go to patreon.com, you go to the Highlands Bunker, you sign up for a 5 or $10 a month patronage, and you help us do some of this fun audio work that we're doing. Just, you know, pitch in. Why not? You know, the stimulus checks are coming, maybe. So, you know. Carl, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate all of your help as always. Folks, left is best. <laughs> <laughs>